All right, y'all. Welcome to episode nine of the Ganas podcast. My name is Alexander, your host. And today we have on a very cool individual, Christy. Christy, hello, and thanks for coming on today. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks yeah. so much. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. How's your day been so far? Uh, it's been really good. Um, I've seen I've had I've seen three patients and I've talked to about two friends and a coach. I love that. What kind of what kind of coach? Uh, right now, I am involved in a leadership, an emotional intelligence leadership um, tribe group. It's called ALA Ascension Leadership Academy. Uh, it's been this awesome five months of continued support. I'm not sure if you ever wow. gone to like a workshop and you just like leave for the weekend after the weekend and you're just like, woo, super high and awesome. And then it fades away. And um, this has been like continued support um, for the last four or five months. And so I've been doing a lot of not soul searching, but just really, really appreciating the light and shadows of, of myself. I like that. Maybe refining who you are day by day. Refining. Yes. Refining, evolving, breaking through, going from breakdown to breakthrough, uh, pain into purpose. Like just, yeah. I'm a, I'm a big visual person. So as you're describing that, I'm picturing somebody sitting down while they're doing pottery, you know, with their hands, they're sculpting something. Uh, so that's what I was visualizing. That's pretty cool. And, and so in terms of that workshop, has it, is it supposed to last five months or was it like two months, but just the continual support and the networking has lasted up until now? Uh, there, there were three levels. Uh, level one was for, you know, a specific, it was called discovery. Level two was about breaking through. Um, and then level three, I bet, I think was about enrollment. Mm-hmm. So there's just been, um, we've met three different, four different times, five different times in person here in Austin. And uh, in between then we've had, we've been continually connected um, on Zoom calls and one-on-one, but yeah, it's been very, very good. Very I love that. I love that. I'm a, a huge proponent of emotional intelligence and, and just always learning something. I, I read the book, uh, Emotional Intelligence 2.0. It's by Travis Bradbury and I read this in 2016 and it really kind of changed my life in terms of how I communicate with people, but also how empathetic I am and just understanding whether people's viewpoints and kind of their whole life. Yeah, I agree. It's very, very, very important. Not, and you know, sometimes um, we react more than we respond. Mm. And I think having emotional intelligence is kind of being able to read the other person um, and know that we're a constant mirror for each other so we can respond a certain way so that the, um, we can communicate better. Actually, it's all about communication. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I remember that, gosh, when was this? I believe this was 2017, 2016. I went through a breakup. And so I, you know, I started going to therapy and I read this book and I started, you know, meditating and doing a, maybe a 15 or 20 minute yoga flow in the morning. And just these little components added up really slowed life down for me to where I, I understand what you're saying, where you, I was responding completely all the time instead of reacting. And I think a lot of that reacting for me comes from 
Uh, I'm sure you've heard of attachment styles before, but I'm, I have an anxious, anxious attachment style that I feel I'm always trying to work on. So, but just being aware about it is a, a big first step. So, man, I'm avoidant. Like, <laughs> something triggers me. Boom. I hide. I run away. Right. <laughs> and I'm learning to stay, stay and, you know, find out what it means to me. What story did I create? Um, you know, reflect what it possibly means and like kind of talk through it. So I love that. I I definitely think, I think I'm anxious, but I also have, I would say some traits of avoidant where I might be placed in that disorganized a little bit where I'm anxious sometimes and sometimes I feel cornered and I just want to get out, you know? So it's really interesting that you can kind of relate to that. So if you could just maybe share people, what's your story? If you were at a dinner party and you had to tell people what you do for a living uh, and maybe where you're from, how would you describe that? Uh, I feel like I have multiple stories. Um, I guess the story I'm really excited about right now is how I chose freedom. And um, I feel like I've grown up um, with a very tight culture that kind of defined how females should grow and where we should be and, you know, um, and end up or what makes us successful. And, you know, I kind of felt bad about feeling in my body that I, that I I just wanted to be this independent free woman. And so little by little, I, um, figured out and got creative and now I feel like I have the most flexible free life and uh, it's freedom you know freedom in my career and also Mm -hmm. freedom emotionally I love that what would you say were maybe some things that helped contribute to you feeling more free now um how do I feel more free so time is a big thing for me and scheduling um myself and my clients um, mm-hmm. is really important. Um, I believe in delivering quality care. Um, so if I would tell you my story, um, well, and every, anybody that's listening, I am a physical therapist. I have been a physical therapist since 2004. Um, I went to Baylor, um, university, and then I went to Texas state for my, for my, um, for grad school. I didn't know you went to Texas state. I did. I went to Texas state, graduated in 2004. Excellent. Yeah. I started practicing as a physical therapist after that worked in hospital, worked in pediatrics. Um, and then, you know, I, my love is working in outpatient orthopedics. Um, I myself was an athlete and a cheerleader And in high school, I fell off of a stunt, tore my ACL. And so physical therapy was a huge deal for me. That's what kind of like facilitated me into wanting to help others and possibly help other athletes that are, have gone through the same thing. Cause atrophy is no joke. My leg atrophy, it took a long time for me to get back to my sport. And the other thing is that, um, well, this is another story about me and my self-worth. I was attached to my performance and tearing my ACL meant me not being, you know, the best, best athlete in the school Mm. and not being known as, 
an athlete in my school, I was like, who am I? Am I a nobody? No. What am I going to be known for? I felt like what I was doing wasn't like what I was doing was proving my self-worth and my being was like not good enough. Would you say that you were experiencing maybe an identity crisis? There's a lot of athletes that they get done playing and they don't advance to that next level. And I've seen it myself. I played college baseball and I have had teammates that they don't make it to that next level. And they're just kind of in this weird phase of life where they're kind of lost because they only knew baseball or another sport. So were you experiencing that a little bit? Right. I didn't, I, I didn't know what my purpose was. Uh, that's why I would say, well, this is another story. Please. Um, yes. how, how I turned pain into purpose. Um, because I was so not traumatized, but I would say traumatized. <laughs> um, I like my physical therapist, there was one time I showed up and my physical therapist wasn't there. So I worked with this other practitioner, didn't know what's going on. Then another day he was like 30 minutes late. And I was just like, wow, like I'm here to show up an accountability and my accountability partner's not here and mm. in responsibility. So, um, I think I was inspired to become a physical therapist to just really hold the space for someone else to heal properly. And, uh, I'm, in, I'm inspired by that. I think that's so cool that you had experiences that were not great for you in terms of people showing up or being accountable for you. And you took life into your own hands, went out and did this. And now you do that for people. Like, I think that's very cool. Yeah. yeah, I do that for people. And, and then another thing that happened after I became a physical therapist in the orthopedic outpatient setting is that the insurance model for, for a clinic to get reimbursed, what is it like maybe $80 a session from each insurance to keep that clinic running takes mm -hmm. a lot of patients in one day. So they are accepting more and more patients onto a physical therapist schedule. So a physical therapist, by the end of their day, they're burnt out. They've seen 10 to 20 patients a day. And that's what I was doing for about 10 years. It and burned me out. It burned me out. Um, so when I got introduced to dry needling, I was like, you know what, this is going to be the modality. I just some way knew that this would be the modality to help me pivot into opening my own practice. Wait, I, I, I have a question for you now, because yeah. I've been under the assumption that, so you do dry needling, but so I, I refer my clients to Eastside Movement Company or uh, Resilient RX, which is another out-of-network physical therapy. But you're saying I can refer people to you as well as a physical therapist? Yes. You okay, can refer is, patient, patients to me any day. This is excellent to know I because I want to have a trustworthy network of, of uh, physical therapists and dry needlers that, you know, I'm, they're trustworthy people in my, in my circle or in my community. Cause then that's ensuring the utmost care for the client as well. Yeah. I believe in one-on-one -on -one quality care. Um, dry needling is not for everyone. I specialize in dry needling because I'm good at it. I get to the root. I get to the specific line of fascia or, or connected muscles that are, you know, maybe a little bit, bit too short or not working effectively. We work on that. And then uh, I know, Alexander, that you practice postural restoration institute type exercise, and I'm all about that as well, where no, none of us are totally symmetrical and it's okay, but it's like when, when we're in pain, 
then we need to we need to do something. We need to do something that's going to work because what we we're doing was not working. And so usually those exercises um, kind of help get the the person out of their pattern. Or if they want, they could just be dry needled every two weeks. Yeah, no, but, um, I, I, healing I, plus exercise is like the healing the healing combination. I I couldn't agree more. I think that a lot of people miss the forest with the trees when they're feeling ailed or they have pain. And a lot of it comes down to, are you sleeping well? Are you getting water? How are you eating? And then on top of that, it's not maybe foam rolling for 40 minutes a day or using that Theragun. It's maybe looking at how your breathing patterns look and can you create tension throughout your body? And a lot of people's pain, I feel could be reduced through just movement and more exercise, but maybe proper exercise and proper alignment. Is that something that you would probably agree with? Yeah. Yeah. You had, um, you had sent over some questions and you were asking about what the definition of health was to me. Yes. And, um, man, we it's health to me is this interconnectedness of, um, the physical body, um, the chemistry, which I think is nutrition, um, our, our mental health, um, how we're feeling emotionally. And then of course our connection and our spirituality, but yes, it's, um, if the person, um, is not doing therapeutic exercise or not sleeping well, or not hydrating, and then constantly, you know, eating some form of like, you know, all hydrogenated oils and, and constant inflammatory food, um, the tissue is not going to line up correctly. And, and they're going to be in constant state of inflammation and inflammation is the opposite of health. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, um, to me, like the definition of health is feeling good in your body, physical movement that you desire, mm. um, feeling confident and light, um, feeling super vibrant after you eat a meal. And then also, you know, um, not taking things personal, you know, just this emotional happiness, um, curiosity, just like excitement for the day. I love that. And I, that's something I definitely want to get into later with you is taking things personally. I had on an artist uh, a couple of days ago and we talked about that, like taking things personally and stuff. So that, that'll be fun to get in with you. But I, I agree that my, my definition of health looks like maybe a holistic approach. It's not just weightlifting four or five days a week, you know, it's more so like, how are you sleeping? What's your water look like? How are you regenerating and recharging? And then what does your movement look like and, and add in some nutrition, but a lot, it's a lot more of a holistic approach than, you know, maybe the average trainer or average coach. Uh, but I feel that the lowest hanging fruit provides the most simple, uh, benefits for somebody. Mm. How many hours of sleep do you get? me uh i range from seven to nine hours a night and i've been really really great about it because i have a nutrition coach and so that's one of those things that she makes sure she checks in with me quite a bit is seeing how my sleep is but i, I can absolutely say i just feel so much better when i sleep more same i i require eight hours nine <laughs> hours feels super awesome um but um eight hours is my key. There was a time in my life, um, when I was um, into bodybuilding, that's another phase of my life. And 
man, that, that lifestyle is just like, go, 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 go. Like it really wasn't about how you're feeling. It was about just like getting the results and, um, yeah, caffeine is a, that's a drug too. And I, I was just definitely overloading on that. And so my sleep was always off, so off and, um, kind of caught up with me later on after about four years, but uh, Gosh, now, four years. Wow. Four years of bodybuilding. Now we got Hashimoto's thyroid problem and a celiac disease. I wouldn't say that that's what caused it, but uh, I guess I had a predisposition predisposition of it and um, kind of like set it off because because again the amount of stress that that I was under um, with bodybuilding, like trying to maintain this physique and going working at a four, 40 hour full-time job mm. plus trying to be in a relationship plus I had just got a dog so I was like kind of like for oh my baby goodness mom. I just so many things on my plate um it was just too much and I remember being so sick I got sick I took antibiotics six times in one year because I was sick so many times and after that um you know I was feeling crappy went to the doctor she did she got 13 vials of blood from me oh, wow. did a test. And I found out that's when I had, uh, the celiac disease and I was allergic to like 80 foods. I mean, that was the textbook definition of inflammation. Uh, that was the time to tell me to like, you got to cool it. Um, because that wasn't working. Interesting. And so I'm not the most educated on celiac disease. Does that, once you develop it, or is that hereditary or like once you develop it, do you have it forever now? Like, how does that work? Right. Um, so you can be, a, um, it's in your DNA. I mean, like it was in my DNA. I think it showed that I had, I didn't get a biopsy done, but I did this test, this genetic test, which showed that I had 80% chance of having it. And I was presenting as if I had it. So I live as if I have it. Um, it's a condi- it's an autoimmune condition mm, where okay. the um, intestines, the little villi, they're like finger-like projections along the yeah. in- um, digestive system. They're the ones that, you know, have all these great probiotics along them. And you have immune little, you, your immune system is connected to there. And um eating so much or being inflammation, like kind of cuts all these little villi down into like little nubs. So instead of these finger like projection projections, it's like, they're like little nubs. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much your, your immune system is just cut down. Why is it immune system was cut down? I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean by saying villi too. I can, I can kind of just like see them like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really interesting. And so yeah, I've, I've never thought of that. And so would you say that maybe, again, you were showing that you would pr- probably have it, but do you think bodybuilding maybe accelerated possibly having it, you know, and having, um, seeing effects of it. And that's why you started taking a preventative cause and eating a certain way. Yeah. I, I, I think that the events, um, during my bodybuilding career kind of flared it up because, um, probiotics, I don't know if you know about probiotics, but, um, or we have, we can't, we all have like a lot of great bacteria and bad bacteria in our body. Not, it's all good. 
Um, but when it's, when, when we have too much bad bacteria as, as like, we know it, it's a infection, bacterial infection. Um, that's when we take the, the antibiotics and antibiotics are like a bomb going off in your, in your body. Like it'll kill all the bad bacteria, but it also kills a good bacteria. Okay. So after six rounds of, of, um, six rounds of antibiotics, I had like no bacteria. I had like nothing, no immune system. So, um, yeah, I really had to take a time to just work on my chi, on my energy and really, um, re-inoculate my gut, re-inoculate my energy. You seem like you are pretty big into like spirituality and just being aware of maybe the ego and, and who you are as a person is that something that you've always been aligned with and wanted to gear towards, or is it something that, you know, something maybe happened in life and you're like, all right, I want to start looking into this stuff more. Um, I have always been spiritual. I would say that I know it sounds a little weird, but I had, uh, I grew up with asthma growing up mm -hmm. and I still to this day uh, remember this out of body experience where I may have died. Oh, whoa. I saw myself from the outside. Um, I just saw myself on the floor. And then I guess I woke up and my asthma attack went away and, or my inhaler came at the right time. But since then, I felt like there's beings around me. I don't know what they are. I grew up Catholic. So I was. I'm religious. I grew up religious, but I always felt like there's constant angels coming around. Sure. So there's, I feel like there's different ways um, of being spiritual. I believe in like these, this outer force, um, being in alignment with this outer force and all these different helpers and soul counsel. So I feel like when we're in alignment with our higher power, our source, our, our soul counsel, um, we have more power. I love that. That's um, really interesting with what you, you saw, like how you were able to see yourself. And I have, you know, I've seen some things, I don't know. I, there was one time where I remember I was a toddler, maybe three or four. And I was with my brother and my cousin and we were playing like a board game. And I look over to my cousin Armando to the right. And there was this man with a knife behind him. And he had like, he had a beanie on and like his, he was about to stab him essentially. And I freak out and then he's just gone, which that was such a weird thing. It was like a, he was like a shadow, but I could see his whole face and his body. And then the other moment was, and this is really weird. Cause I remember being in the crib and I was just like looking up and I wake up and there's like two gigantic people. Like I can't see who they are. They're just really bright. And I see their silhouette on the side, two gigantic people. And then in front of me was somebody with wings and they had like a book like this, that they were reading. And again, I couldn't see their face. It was just a silhouette. And I, I promise that I, like, that's what I experienced. It's really weird. Wait, but you remember yourself in the crib? Yeah. Like I remember, I don't remember. I didn't see myself from that third person. I just remember my eyes, what my eyes were seeing. Wow. It's really weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this other part of holistic health that I'm talking about, um, kind of like this astral other plane parallel life um it or this emotional part that i 
have been working on healing is revisiting childhood, childhood trauma or childhood um, experiences. So, oh, what I was going to say is that it's always, it's kind of been hard for me to go back before the year, like before I was like six. So it's, I think it's so amazing that you, you actually remembered that moment. That's so yeah. Cool. It's, it's, you know, like there's something striking in your life or very poignant. And then you remember that from, I guess, until you, you pass, but it's really weird how, and you know, I haven't even mentioned those to anyone in such a long time. It's been a couple of years, but again, I never forget what that image looks like in my mind. Yeah. So. Yeah. Right. And, and I, I say it's real. Have you done plant medicine before? Uh, no, I can't say I have. I would say that if you did plant medicine, you may visit that, that time again. It's really crazy how what, your what body qualifies. Remembers. What qualifies is, is plant medicine. What would, is that a ayahuasca or is that, did I say that right? Yes. I, um, well, mushrooms is plant medicine too, right? Um, the plant medicine I was referring to is ayahuasca. Ayahuasca, I had this profound experience and um, it was as if I was able to revisit childhood experiences and able to communicate with maybe cousins that have passed away. It's just, I mean, it's very different for ev- for everyone, but anything that you subconsciously like have gone through, but you don't really believe it was real or not, like that medicine validates that it was real. Interesting. That is, again, that sounds like such an experience. Uh, and from, have you heard stories of people taking it? Are they typically all positive or some, are some experiences kind of bad? Uh, well, I would say you can have negative experience as well. That's why it's very important that that you go in with an intention that you Mm -hmm. have an accountability coach outside of there, that you stay in touch with maybe friends that you met there. Um, also like, I wouldn't recommend anybody just like getting ayahuasca from like some vendor in Mexico or something and doing it by yourself because ayahuasca shows you what you need to see. It shows you maybe a dark aspect of yourself that you Mm -hmm. need to revisit. Uh, in my experience, I went to two retreats and they were both three days. And the first night was always like anger. I was getting over this anger and resentment. And then the second night was like me falling in love with myself again. And then the third night, the third day, it was just this ascension or this uh, other aha moment or, you know, revisiting something else. But if I I just stay there that one night, the first one, I would have been so scared. So I, I have a question. It's twofold. So each day, are you doing ayahuasca? And then secondly, is that first night where you're feeling lots of anger? Are you just feeling it? Or are you thinking of events that caused you anger? Or maybe in that moment, you were angry? Or was it just this weird kind of blindside? I'm feeling really angry right now. Um, all right, well, I'll tell you what I remember. The Okay. Um, First of all, I did my ayahuasca experience in Santa Cruz, California. Um, when I got there, I had, it's like I created expectations, but I didn't, and I was just nervous about it. And I remember yeah. everyone taking this little shot of the ayahuasca and 
people like relaxing and then like starting to like feel and look blissful. It seemed like, and I was like, it's not working for me. It's not working for me. It's not working for me. And I started getting mad. And then it just like created more and more anger. And then somebody came to help me and put their hand on my uh, shoulder or something. And then I just started crying and, and then like stuff came up. And then from there, I just went into this, this um, yeah. Revisiting of some traumas. It's, it's really cool. That's interesting. It sounds um, like a cathartic experience. Just kind of like, that's interesting. I I love hearing that again. I, I, this is such a cool part of the aspect of the podcast is getting to learn from people and about experiences that you've never been a part of. I think that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I love talking to people about how they had like this major problem in their life or uh, this soul contract or like this um, challenge. And I like learning about how they navigated to come through that and then become their own hero or break through that. And, um, you know, a lot of the people that I've met have had some type of experience where it was like a major, major, major breakdown. And then it turned into this powerful thing. And ayahuasca kind of was a tool that helped me spring into all the subconscious things that I was like secretly holding. Like they, they were illuminated for me. Sure. It was awesome. That's really interesting. And so now I want to pivot a little bit and I've always been confused versus dry needling or acupuncture. If could you just maybe give a, a brief synopsis of the difference of the two or are they the same? Okay. So yeah, in the state of Texas, um, chiropractors, physical therapists, and I believe uh, athletic trainers can dry needle. Oh, occupational therapists can dry needle as well. And um, dry needling is not acupuncture. We are not trying to become acupuncturists at all. Acupuncture is the use of these tiny little needles. Trying to see if I have any here. Do um very very thin needles. Oh yeah, we're not showing with the video. We're not we're not on video, but um they're these skinny little tiny needles. I see and those. Here we go. Oh my gosh. I don't know why did I just flinch like you're about to stab me. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, everybody's like, you just stab people for a living. I'm like, oh, great. No. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, in, in Chinese medicine, um, we have these meridians. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you've ever read anatomy trains, but there's these lines, these mapped out longitudinal lines along the along the body from the head that go all the way down to the toes. And there are various meridians and there's this chi it's this energy that goes up and down them and at what in chinese medicine i i believe they say that energy gets blocked in certain areas and so they would use the needles to kind of unblock the energy so that the chi would flow i see yeah so they're treating like organ systems energy um balancing out hot and cold in the body different elements I use the needles specifically to insert into a trigger point 
and elicit a twitch response to metabolize and purge out inflammatory chemicals that have been stored in that muscle. Interesting. So very, very different. Um, I'm not even sure uh, if acupuncturists have been exposed to what trigger points are. Um, they know of acupoints, um, which 92% of the acupoints are a trigger point, but they just, the needle is not um, inserted as deep as a dry needler. And so I have a question since you're talking about that trigger point that you're sort of releasing, I guess, metabolites that accrue up and that causes inflammation. What causes that inflammation typically? I I have an idea, but from your perspective, is it typically just uh, stress, you know, work environments, things like that? Yeah. So the leading belief is that trigger points are caused from an excessive release of acetylcholine from the motor end plate. And then it's just like releasing the acetylcholine and then it just creates this chronic shortening and contracture of sarcomeres. And then there's like less circulation. So there's hypoxia and ischemia. So then from there, your body starts sending prostaglandins, bradykinins, cytokines, and histamine. And then that uh, it sensitizes the sensory afferent nerve fibers, and then it causes tenderness. So that's how tenderness happens. So you develop this ball of tissue, which is called a trigger point. And um, sometimes that happens because a muscle has been like lengthened so much. And so it's trying to work eccentrically and then it just like is tired. So then it is, you know, working too hard. Then it kind of develops a scar tissue. Um, but then it also comes from maybe like an overuse thing. Um, sometimes the pain uh, is caused by like a nerve root compression. And then of course we have sprain, sprains and strains, but there's so many different ways that these trigger points come. Sure. So a lot of it comes down to maybe stress, the way your body's positioned, how you move your body, what your workouts look like, just this huge conglomerate of different things. And then people are like, Hey, my neck is killing me. Can you do something about it? Yeah. I love that. The neck, I mean, neck pain and shoulder pain usually come from poor posture. This whole technology thing. We're like at a computer and our phone too long. Man is not meant to be looking at a screen all day. I hear you. And then the low back pain, it's uh, improper biomechanics, I believe, like squatting incorrectly. I, everybody wants to get strong by putting something in their on their back and then arching their back and then just staying in that arched position that doesn't serve anyone. Yeah, that's again, that's I mean, we I've trained you once before and it was a, a really enjoyable hour with you because it was nice to bounce ideas off of you and but I agree, you know, if someone's really extended or, you know, ribs are flared up and they typically have some low back discomfort, it doesn't really make sense to go into the gym and then do a back squat where the bar is going to further perpetuate that pattern that causes you pain. It's kind of this weird perpetual cycle of discomfort and pain. Yeah, I agree. And again, a lot of, um, you know, it's so funny, like with patients, no one ever went over like especially in the athletes I see like their coaches don't show them how to condition and 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 even out their biomechanics or this like they don't help them strengthen around 
the joint that they're overusing, say like a baseball player. Like I saw this baseball player last week and he's in so much pain Mm. yet his back is so weak. He has no glute strength. He doesn't know how to contract his transverse abdominis yet. He wants to be, he's a pitcher and he wants to be scouted by colleges soon. And I was like, Whoa, you, you, we got to work on your, on your off season. You're just throwing the ball all day. I I don't see how you're going to continue to be strong. I, I can absolutely see we're getting into PRI for you. I'm also, I'm extremely happy you were able to go see uh, that workshop. Cause again, remember we were kind of planning on maybe going and oh, yeah. at the same one, but I think it's so cool, but I could for sure see how PRI is useful for someone like a baseball player. Right. Hey, and we got to maybe look at some dates next year because I want, I took pelvic restoration, which was all about, you know, the pelvis and how the mm-hmm. pelvis is asymmetrical. And there's, you know, some people that present most people, a lot of people present in this like left AIC. anterior. Yeah. AIC. And, um, I I'm also interested in this, in this right brachial chain, right. Mm-hmm. E, what is it? Oh, e, gosh. E, e, I, e, I don't know, but it, there's layers to it, but for sure I'm down to check out some dates and, and maybe we can look at that. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk to you about dancing now. I, I've seen you go to classes before and and, and partake in, in dancing. And I've actually been wanting to take classes before. I know I live next to a studio, Como Bachata and things like that. So what's your experience been here finding classes in Austin? Uh, so what's the name of your podcast again? Ganas, Ganas, pod- Ganas Podcast. I would say... If when I have no ganas and I just am overwhelmed and I just like, I'm so done with overwork and being in masculine and go, 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 go. The thing to help me shake everything off and like feel better and feel better in my skin and just like reset myself. I dance. I put on any type of music, like my living room I moved all my sofas. So it's just this big open area. And then I'll put on uh, YouTube on TV and I just like dance to different videos. I just play music on, uh, I play music and I just dance for like 10 or 15 minutes. Totally gets me in a different state. And um, yeah, so I really enjoy all types of music. Hip hop is fun. I mean, I was a cheerleader. So like learning dance is fun. The, the, the dance that helps me feel sensual and connected and actually helps me communicate. And it's kind of like synonymous or parallel to how I want to be in a relationship is more receiving and following and being led. Mm. And so lately I've been into bachata. I dance with um, Fabian at Austin inspired movement. I've been doing private lessons with him and uh, it's just an amazing way to get feedback on how I feel like I'm connecting with people, period. And um, yeah, I just love dancing, feeling the beat in my body, moving yeah. out. It feels good. It's meditative, meditative. I, I love that. I, I Again, I love that you even mentioned med- meditative because I'm a huge proponent of meditation and motion. I think that a lot of times people just picture sitting down with your, your hands on your knees or something, but 
in reality, it can look like a lot of things. So for me, meditation is working with my plants or I'll go on a hike without any type of audio, music videos, whatever. And I really enjoy hearing about your experience with dance, how it's a lot more than just moving your body. It's it, it leads into other things for you, such as feeling connected to people. And it's kind of helping, again, refining that process in an atypical way, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you talk about moving meditation and when what comes to mind um, with the words moving meditation is Qigong. And that's another aspect. That's another turning point in my life after the whole bodybuilding and I was just totally broken down and, you know, feeling sick. I turned to Qigong. Um, I went to a seminar here in Austin and then I decided to learn more into level two and three um, in some other cities, but um, Qigong is moving meditation. It's mm. just, you're just so focused on feeling the chi, feeling the energy between your hands, moving the energy through your arm, um, like flushing that energy down towards your leg or into your body, into like your chest or your belly. The, the, the focus of Qigong is to improve or balance um, the Dantian, which is the gut, and so I also think that when, when I was at this like super tired autoimmune time in my life, Qigong helped bring the energy back into my gut. And it was, I did some self-healing. So I got to ask, that sounds like a really cool experience while you're in motion and you're, you're moving your body to the Qigong. Um, are you focusing on how the limbs feel while you pass through them? So, you know, like I'm moving my arms, or are you just paying attention to how your arms feel your limbs and just creating more body awareness? Um, yeah, so you should be kind of standing in this like very relaxed posture. But what I feel is like the alignment of one hand towards the other side of the body. And always this energy, it's always in between the two hands. So the hands might Mm. Um, align together and then they might spread apart but then you might feel again meridians acupuncture this line of energy between one hand and the other or um, you may stretch your arm up and almost go like into a hip flexor stretch but again there's like a line of energy that you're trying to increase and 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 get chi and blood flow back into so yeah it's very aware very that's aware. really cool i i i visualize like an orb between my hands and whichever way my hands go it's kind of going it's lengthening it's getting shorter it's getting rounder that's that's a really interesting perspective yeah i always imagine you know how you blow bubbles and sometimes you can catch the bubble and then you can like make it grow and come back together. It's like so gentle that you're just like creating these bubbles and yeah, or busy other things like these bright lights along your palms that are shining onto each other. Right. So one thing that I saw that you mentioned, you, you kind of glossed over that you maybe wanted to talk about was boundaries and being triggered. I just wanted to ask what made you want to maybe discuss these things. Um. So what may, what would make me want to talk? Okay. So along my journey into becoming a 
uh, entrepreneur and owning my own business is because I went through this time in my life where I was chronically tired. I was just so tired. And um, I mean, I learned I was an empath. And so I learned that I was absorbing other people's energy. So um, we were talking about Qigong and it's kind of like related to Reiki um, and energy. And I read this book by Judith Orloff. Judith Orloff, I want to say, I hope I'm not butchering her name. Um, but we need to like create like uh, in boundaries like around each other, around ourselves. Um, sometimes we literally like absorb other people's energy. Um, the other thing, oh, so I worked on kind of like creating shaking off other people's energy in between my sessions with mm. the next patient. Um, but another thing is that I, what were we talking about? about boundaries. Um, I said yes a lot. And I think I say yes a lot throughout my life because I don't want to let people down. And it, within the last like two or three years, I've really allowed myself to say no. I love that. Um, it's not saying no to them, but it's saying yes to myself. Mm. And so um, becoming a entrepreneur meant, um, you, you know, going cash base, of course, like it was one thing, but also and and wanting to reach out and become specialized in dry needling. But the other thing was, is um, kind of like creating this space that I said yes to myself more than just like showing up to a, a job where I was required to work more hours than my body required. I think that's such an, an interesting way to put those ideologies into practice. It's almost like you built a business around really embodying some of these concepts and I think that's such a, again, an interesting way to go about it, but it works. And I think that's really cool. And you're right about the boundaries thing. It's, I wish I would have learned about boundaries much sooner. I think I've been going to, I'm 27 now and I've been going to therapy for about four years and I started to learn about them maybe around 23, but I could see how useful they would have been when I was, I don't know, 15 or, or 12 or just learning about boundaries. They're so crucial to improving your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, I also think, I don't know, I used to take things a lot more personal than I do now and talking about being triggered. Um, I would say that maybe like some people say things that trigger me and I know it was really not about me. It's more about them. And I used to not know the difference between that. Let's see, for example, um, for example, like if somebody says like, you're ignoring me <laughs> and, uh, it would trigger me because I know I'm not, but it's like, I'm literally like, you know, um, back to back with patients or something. And I didn't respond to someone's text. Um, and they're saying, you're ignoring me. That's their story, right? <laughs> they created the story and I know it's not true. So I, I would find myself getting triggered about these things and like trying to take the time to like explain it for 15 minutes to make them feel oh, wow. better so that I would, they would feel better and then I could go on. But um, yeah, triggering, 
being triggered doesn't serve, right? Because then like we get oh, triggered okay. and we give away our energy and uh, then we're left with no energy. I, I noticed that I, gosh, how do I say this? Sometimes I do get triggered. I don't really as much as I used to when I was a lot younger, but I noticed that I'll get triggered typically towards people that are really close to me in my circle. And I, my theory for that is just because they mean so much more to me than, you know, other people. But it's always a good learning lesson where, again, I try to be responsive and I really pay attention to why am I feeling that way? And then maybe I'll respond a day later or something like that. But it's never in that moment where I'm feeling triggered and then I respond. I feel like that's not a good mix. Right. Wait, you're saying that you you take you take a little while to respond? Absolutely. Yeah, because I never want to. I don't think that's a normal state for me to be in if I, my my body has gone through a sympathetic response where I'm more alert. It's kind of fight or flight. My heart's kind of pounding a little bit and I just feel kind of like fuzzy in my head. It, I don't think for me, it makes sense to respond in that moment or react and send a text or, or call in that moment. I really like to maybe respond that next day or in a couple of hours, but I know for sure that I want to make sure I'm at my base homeostatic level for Alexander. See, I'm kind of the opposite. And I, if that happened to me, if someone triggered me and I didn't clear the air and I didn't have a clearing conversation, mm-hmm. I would stay sympathetic mode <laughs> until I went to sleep and I'd recreate the event again and again and again. And I would be able to sleep. So I would invite you and I invite myself to have the confidence and like trust the process of having the clearing conversation of being vulnerable. And, um, instead of you did this to me, um, the, the response would be when you blank, I felt this or the story I was, the story I had when you did this was this. Um, which would kind of just like not project onto them. It would just be like, I had this story. Is that true? And then maybe you would, your vulnerability would um, allow them to be vulnerable and then you could clear it. But I see. Have you ever heard of, uh, I forgot if I was listening to a podcast where I was reading a book, but there's a term chewer versus spewer. No. Okay. So I would, I would say I'm more, I used to be a spewer. I'm more of a chewer now where I really want to chew on things. And and because again, if I'm feeling triggered, I don't want to maybe open something up when it was really my job to kind of sort through it and then respond. So chewing versus spewing is a chewer. They kind of take their time to think about something. And then a spewer is like, all right, let's talk about this right now. Let's hash it out and let's take care of it. So I think it's really important for people to understand how other people operate so that those communication I guess lines don't get tangled. They're always smooth. It's really interesting to me. And I admire you for like, I admire you for um, reading these kind of books and becoming more aware. I'm noticing that, you know, in the work that I've done, I'm noticing the people that I want to be around. And even though these conversations are a little difficult to have, it just feels so awesome and empowering to be around people that like, want to have the difficult conversation and we still love each other with the imperfection of how we reacted or responded. And, and 
And uh, it's just like this, again, emotional intelligence that I want to be around. It's just like, it's empowering to be around people that, that um, want to communicate and talk about deeper it's, things, what it meant. Isn't it great emotional intelligence? Again, I, I'm a huge sucker for, I don't know, just learning something and, and always continuing to try and learn how to communicate with others. I think that's uh, I, I didn't get that. I don't think that should ever stop that process of trying to learn. I, 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 and I, I read something the other day, and again, I'm not sure if this is true or not, because I read it on the internet, but it was something along the lines of once people finish high school, maybe 30 to 50% of people never read a book again. Like they never read a book again. Wow. And I can't imagine that. It's crazy to me. <laughs> I felt like I read like a million books in college, but you're right. After college, like I just did not want to read anything. All my books are self-help. Dang, does that say something about me? You know, a lot of oh, mine are, most of my books are about healing. Yeah, a lot of mine are self-help in nature. I've started to read. Yeah, I guess just self-help, but just in different ways. And I, I kind of want to start getting into maybe like more um, like self-written books. What would you call it? Oh, yeah. Biographies, autobiographies, things like that. I really think it's important to learn about pivotal people in history as well. Who's your, who's one of the people that you are inspired by? Man, who's one of the people I'm inspired by? This is a great question. I'm going to have to go off the top of my head. I love Ali, Muhammad Ali. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think, I think his prowess, just his confidence that he had. And, you know, he, one of the most incredible things about him was when he refused to go into the Vietnam War he didn't believe in it and because of that a couple of years of his prime boxing career were stripped from him he wasn't allowed to fight for a couple of years wow and i'm just like that's that's those people that like in the moment society doesn't agree with them and then fast forward 15 20 years they were like wow that person was on a futurist futuristic wavelength of thinking so ali is one of mine what about you um i was writing down um lately i've been into um movies about celebrities like this uh let's see last month was the first time i went to watch a movie over since like two years ago since the pandemic mm -hmm. and i watched um the movie about aretha franklin cool i didn't know anything about her man she's like one of our one of the legends yeah, she went through alcoholism and she was, um, yeah, she was abused um, as wow. a as a child. And I remember I also really liked the movie about Elton John. And yeah. again, he turned this pain and suffering into into a power. And like he used music and art to to kind of heal himself and or process it or express it, however. And then I think the movie about Freddie Mercury, the singer of Queen, yeah, as well was kind of like this outcast, and he he uh, you know wanted to express himself a certain way, and it really wasn't it wasn't uh, accepted. But then he got famous for it, and yeah, I love those I love those types of movies of how yeah. people. I I, I watched a documentary the other day, and it kind of blew my mind. But I'd always heard of Marsha P. Johnson, and she was. Uh, trans and so this was in new york in the 70s and that's where basically stonewall and a lot of that movement 
was and I got to learn about Sylvia Cruz was another person that was really involved in that movement but just seeing how important for people the, those people were it's it's pretty incredible uh so I have a couple more questions for you and then we'll wrap it up uh if you had a podcast who would your two sponsors be for the podcast who would my two sponsors be yeah it could be anybody in the world any company you want two two companies do you can can I ask who you have? Do you have yeah, so off the top of my head, and it probably changes day to day, but the one I've been saying is book people here in Austin. I love bookstores. I think bookstores are amazing. Book people, and then my other company, it's probably like a plant shop or something like that. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> well, I would have um let me see. They don't know about me, but there's this massage company called Soothe. They are this mobile massage company that goes to your house. Oh, cool. I'm really into massage. And my second would probably be Austin Inspired Movement because my goal is to get people back into moving happily into the thing that they love doing. And when my body feels amazing, I want to be dancing and I want everybody else to be dancing. So it would probably Love be that. that kind of segues into my last question is what inspires you? And I feel like you kind of just encapsulated that right there. So what inspires you? Yeah. What inspires me are things that get me into a flow state or when I'm doing them, I get into this flow state. One is music, music, like music just really changes my state. I don't even have to be talking. It just changes my state and uh, music, dancing. And of course, like, when there's music and when there's dancing, there's always an amazing celebration. And that's one gift that I uh, want to celebrate in myself is, or celebrate period is um, music and dancing. And the second thing would be art and how we all have an, an artist inside of us. And uh, in my next life, in, when I retire, I will probably want to be an artist. I love that. I love that. That's cool. Movement, music, and art. Uh, thank you so much for coming on today. How was your experience? Thank you. Oh my gosh, it was amazing. Um, I can't believe it's been an hour. I know. That went so. by so fast. Thank you so much for all the listeners, and we'll see you on that next episode.